The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. When Austin FC defied the odds to pull off the unthinkable and take all three points from D.C. at the death in Washington, we at Moon Tower Soccer Headquarters knew who we had to call in to cover it. The one, the only. That's right, y'all. I am back. Because when Austin FC goes full Wellhausen, we here at Moon Tower Soccer go full Wellhausen too. Jeremiah, I am so honored. I'm so touched. But the second you saw that last goal in, you knew I just had to be on the show today. Thank you for having me. Well, and the fact that Landon's out of town in Portugal for a week may have had something to do with that. Regardless, I'm back, baby. And I'm ready to keep this hype train going as we review this weekend's legendary victory and preview this week's matches against San Antonio and Vancouver. We also have got an interview coming up with Austin FC's Director of Player Personnel, Sean Rubio. And let's see. That's pretty much it. My name's Chris Wellhausen, captain of the hype train, co-piloted here by... Neither of those are train terms. Um, <laughs> Jeremiah Bentley, who is the man you've probably unknowingly and somehow mysteriously keep seeing on your TV. Jeremiah, how are you doing? I'm I'm great. I'm great. Is there a product you would like me to hawk or or a cause that you would like me to support? Because that is absolutely what I'm here for. Well, Chris, man, <laughs> what a week. What a night. What a tale of two halves, if there ever was one. So I think we could probably just sort of skip whatever nonsense we had planned, which Landon would yeah. probably appreciate since he's editing it, editing this from another country and just kind of get, in literally it, get into nothing. DC United. There's nothing else I want to talk about in my life right now. All of my meetings have basically gone exactly like this today at work. It's just like someone asking me about a project and me yelling three to two, 90th minute, Rubio, Ruben Gabrielson, and then yelling at them until they kick me off the Zoom. That's, hey, that is, that's the way to be, man. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, we talked about this. The first half was not beautiful. Like, where, where, was, where was your mental attitude 45 minutes into that? Um, my girlfriend was like very kindly, like watching it with me, which was basically just her watching me overreact for the first 45 minutes and then just muttering words. I probably can't repeat on this podcast followed by Nick Lima. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, we looked awful. And, and if I'm being honest, I don't think we looked great really at all. This, like the whole game, it was just like, it never looked really clean and connected even when we were kind of barreling down on them, but it doesn't matter, man. This is, this is soccer. It doesn't matter because we won and that's what matters. Results are all that counts. Well, let's, let's get into the setup. So we'd heard rumors, I think, through like the We Are Austin TV boys and maybe the striker slack that we would see some kind of lineup uh, or formation swap starting off the match when, right. when we were playing with Cecilio. Exactly. I was just about to say is because Cecilio is gone, we, and you know, some of our backup wingers are not the most reliable, per se, not to drop um, names, but yeah, we definitely had to shift it up a bit. And then we had that. We had a huge traveling crowd that uh, hung in there, made a lot of noise, hung in through some weather. We also had a weather delay, which I don't remember us having a lightning delay before. Was that that was new, right? Yeah, I don't think that's happened here. I don't. I can't even think of another away game that's happened, but definitely new. So we saw that. Then we could run out this lineup: Stuver. So uh, John Gallagher uh, on the left, getting his first start after some calling for that. From a lot of fans, uh, Gabrielson and Cascante in the middle, Nick Lima on the right, which I believe you may have some opinions on when we get into that a little <laughs> bit later. 
then uh, people have been asking to have see Danny Pereira and Johan Valencia both on the field together at the same time. And that's what we got, along with Alex Ring, then Juicy Fagundes, and Maxi Arruti. So what would you call this formation? I saw a lot of debates online about exactly what they were even lined up in before the game started. Yeah, I mean, it looked... I'm, we all... I think people that follow the team closely know that our formations tend to bend and reshape a little bit, depending on where the ball's at on the field and who's got it. Um, but it seemed like a four, three, three with Driussi almost and Fagundes as technically the wide players, but that were just tucking in more. Um, but it, it was kind of hard because I felt like Pereira and, Valencia would somewhat rotate taking over that backspace as a holding midfielder. So it's kind of, I struggled to really define it at points. Did you feel yeah. like you could like really nail down what it was supposed to be? <laughs> I, I don't know. That was the, well, I know what it resulted in being. I think we can probably just talk a little bit about the first half, right? It ended up being just straight chaos. And it was in the same way that fuck like the second half of Minnesota was the same way too, right? Which was a fairly similar lineup. Yeah, it really did. It did feel like we swapped halves um, compared to the Minnesota game. But uh, and it's worth saying, too, you know, like we, I, we really like we experimenting a little bit with life without Cecilio at the moment. But D.C. looked really good. Like they've been pretty out of form, but they looked sharp. Like every time they got the ball, they were just ruthless and like these cross field line cutting passes that I was kind of like, have we been punked? Like, who are these guys? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, they had a yeah, they had a really good match. Um especially well, obviously, especially the first half. Um, but I, you you would see we talked about this going in. Like, I mean, they've got a lot of guys that you've heard of. Like, there was no reason for them to not be as good as to have played as poorly as they have, right? Like Julian Gressel settled in and played really well. Obviously, mm-hmm. obviously Ole Kamara did. Um And they were a good team last year. You know, it's not like they're always it's not like Cincinnati where it's like maybe they're getting better now. It's they their new coach had really once it clicked it really they were on the fringe of being a playoff team last year and it just I don't know sometimes I think when you have a a coach that comes and really like ignites the flames and gets everyone motivated after the the honeymoon season ends it's kind of hard to replicate I think so it seems like they're just still somewhat finding their footing I I know they also just signed a DP who made his first appearance in this game as a substitute so maybe there's some personnel issues we're just not as attuned to but it was a surprise to see them look as sharp as they did in that yeah, first half. I thought Andy Nahara was like the best player on the field. Maybe oh yeah for maybe the whole game, even in the second half when we were making the comeback, the guy was still like trouble all the way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he looked really sharp. Um, do you want to talk about the goals a bit? Let's talk about the goals a bit. We'll, we'll, <laughs> let's 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 skip let's skip through the first two quickly. But let's see. Yeah, let's talk about the Ole Kamara goals. Yeah, you know the only thing I'd say is I think they were generating really good chances. Just again, they were moving the ball at an alarmingly fast pace. And whenever they turn over possession, they were not messing around. They're pretty high octane in how they move. But I think when I rewatched those goals that they scored against us, um, for anyone who like didn't want to enjoy life and missed the game and hasn't rewatched it somehow in the last 24 hours, you know, the, the first two goals both came somewhat surprising. Like they had the ball and they were pressing on us, but I felt like both was kind of like, how did that just happen? And, you know, when I was rewatching it, it wasn't that we were just totally misshapen defensively. It was, I think, actually, both goals came down to Fagundes, um, which both gives me a little bit of 
comfort and frustration that it was on him. But essentially, the first one comes in, um, and I believe they they're kind of pushing bodies forward. They cross it into the box. I cannot remember who. Maybe it was Gressel. Kind of is at our back post. Diego is on him, and so I think Cascante or whichever defender is in front of him doesn't really go up for the header because Diego is obviously not the most equipped to win a header in the box. So they just kind of tap it into the center and Ola Kamara, their best attacking player is right there and just hammers it home. And then on the second goal, similarly, it may have been a corner kick. They dish it in and as it's kind of bounces out and is resetting, Kamara is on the back post with Fagundes marking him and does this really clever run where he kind of makes a loop towards the top of the box, then comes back in and Diego doesn't follow him and no one picks him up. And so he's wide open, completely alone, almost dead center of our box. And just like ham, like, again, he just, he hits it home. Like he's, he's made for those situations. So both were kind of like, yeah, they're pressing on us and they're getting good chances, but it feels like we're getting in front of them. And then suddenly we're just not, you know, he's got, an inch or two too much of space and then what did he do immediately after that second goal to loom large right. in the overall outcome of the game shout out to uh the man for a little excessive celebrations because yeah basically he scored a second second goal um actually i don't remember if it was the first or second but it doesn't matter it was a second thank you um he as he's running to celebrate he takes his shirt off and i think the message on his shirt was for his grandmother who may be ill. Um, so you can understand, like, you know, sometimes you want to send a message. It probably meant a lot to him. But unfortunately, as we will discuss in a minute, came back to haunt him. So if you don't know, if you're if you're somewhat new to the sport, you know, it's it's a guaranteed yellow if you take your shirt off to celebrate. Um, I looked up the, why that is once, and there was some, like, some reason that made somewhat of sense, but I cannot remember, and I really don't care because... This is not what this is about. But yeah, so he took it off. He got a yellow. We go into the halftime. Um, was well, it so before or after half that actually like, he got the second? He got the second one. It was so we 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 get almost the half, then we have this Julio Cascante header that's almost a goal. Like I think it was like 0.82x goal. Then mm-hmm. there's still a little bit more going on. Then he gets it right at the end of the first half. He gets the second yellow at the end of the first You're half. Right. I'm clearly like still too hyped. I can't even like think <laughs> I know, straight. I'm just like shaking over here, like thinking about it all. I'm just I'm taking you on this journey through the first half, so you can yeah. kinda, you can kind of <laughs> unload the second. And the other thing was like the the head referee on that night was not afraid to hand out yellow cards. I believe well, there were ten on the night. I think is what it ended up being. But like she was not putting up a lot of with a lot of stuff from a lot of people. And Austin got a little bit lucky. Like Danny Pereira could have got. Oh yeah, I don't There's know. A few a half, moments. A Danny half Pereira dozen yellows. Some color. And he only got one, but yeah. So he went at a half down, down two nil, but up, um, up a man because it was it was eleven on ten, mm-hmm. and I don't know stuff looked tired. I I did love the halftime. I did love the video that the team put out today, but the yes. halftime speech. Oh my gosh, Gabrielson! If y'all haven't looked, go like pause this right now. Go to Austin FC's social media pages and watch the as always incredible video they posted of the game. But you'll see Gabrielson at halftime, basically just chewing everyone out and being telling them like, there's no reason not to believe right now. Like they're down a man. We're better than this. Let's go do this thing. And I honestly, that's actually part of the reason I'm so hyped. I watched that right. Like minutes before hopping on. (laughs) (laughs) It was so good. Yeah. 
So then, so the substitutions, a, couple, a few happened that are really important. One, Andy Nahar comes out at 51. I don't, was he injured? I'm not even sure why he came out, but that's okay. I think he did pick up a knock, and they're probably just playing it safe since he's one of their better players. And then and at 50, 2 0. Yeah, they're up 2 0. Then, then at 56, we, we subbed in Jimenez for Lima, Coleman's for Gallagher. So basically, flipped. We did the reverse of what we did last week and swip, yeah. switching the fullbacks out. But then Ethan Finley for Valencia, which also caused a change in shape, which I think was badly needed. Um, and I'm glad mm-hmm. that he that Josh Wolf did that and did it early, even though it wouldn't pay off for for a long time. Um, and then so we had a lot of possession, right? We were up. Then we bring in Danny Hooson. It's 65. The man we all knew we could rely on. And then, but it's like almost as soon as he got in, he like he like he was all over the great. place. Yeah, he almost like pulled the ball off the keeper's foot like in the, his first it's, minute in there. So like I'm so happy to see that after talking a lot of trash about the guy all last year. Like, well, I, we I all like know it's, that it's a redemption I've, story. Yeah, we all know that I've never said a bad word about Danny Houston. I've always believed, you know. So Danny, if you're listening, just remember it was me, Chris Wilson, who always believed in you. But um, yeah, he really did look amazing, and and not just in the shots he was taking off, like just how he was contributing, you know, like he, he really like felt like he was piecing us back together in a way. And I think, like you said, Finley getting us back to our normal shape helped a lot with that too. But I mean, that's a bold move to bring in a, a guy who has not played much at all in like a year when you really need to regain confidence and formation. It's, it's incredible to see that he really delivered. Yeah. And so he gets the first goal, right? Uh, at, uh, Mm-hmm. 80 minutes bring brings us back to two one do you want to talk about that goal i mean it was kind of a messy goal we were just throwing bodies forward and and it seemed to me like just sending a lot of balls in at times like it it never seemed like we really were that free-flowing like super smooth like maybe a couple of short moments of that like real true wolf ball but the ball flies in the middle he just barely gets there in time and taps it in and yes. yeah ahead. that was so that that was one and the second one is uh um, and that was the that was a great ball from Hector Jimenez that got us that tied it up that got us a two two. Also, again, that, that highlight video we were talking about that the Austin FC video team put together. There's this amazing shot where they like slow it down right as he's just gently caressing that ball into the back of the net with his first touch, and it's just it's beautiful. It's a be- yeah. Well, he's a beautiful man. True. With a beautiful goal scoring for him. <laughs> and there were, so on that on that second one, there were like like Diego was there right beside Juicy. There were like four guys running at the goal that, eat, that like any of them could have been targets. I mean that, that was I, impressive. I will say, while it never looked super clean and super like oh Wolf Ball is back on, like they've clearly are in the zone. They were where there was no lack of effort. Like they were they were throwing themselves at the chances they could. Like you could tell they were not taking their foot off the gas pedal, which is a great thing to see. And then we get so we knew there was going to be a bunch of a bunch of extra time because our boys at DC were going Concacaf style time wasting all throughout the second half. Do you think that what would we end up with eight? You think eight was enough? Yeah, but it went past eight. Like, <laughs> like we. It's true. We we got through the extra time and there was still more. Like it was never ending. But and if I can't remember if we're time stamping these goals, but the first one comes at the 80th minute. The second, I think, at the 85th. And then the third and one then, was like at 90 or in the 90th yep. minute, right? Yep. And that one was uh, this sky cross from, was it Diego, right? Yeah. I mean, like it was like, it was a true, as true of a Hail Mary as you can get in the sport. <laughs> like Everyone's in front of the goal and he just launches that thing. 
I honestly don't get how Hamid, the goalkeeper for DC, didn't come claim that because it was up there so long. Like, even if it was on the edge of his box, just go get it. But, I mean, thank God he didn't. Shout out to you, Bill, because, Jeremiah, what happens next? So, yeah, Gabriel gets on it. Uh, Bill gets a piece of it, right, I think. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't. It didn't go in clean, did and it, it? And it's like it lands. It meets Gabrielson right by the the box. I mean, like he, like right by the. Uh, I guess in that case, the far post, and he just taps it down. I think I mean, just barely gets half a hand to it, and it slips under him, and then the rest is history, baby. And then it's three two, and then and pandemonium reigned and excitement. So, what what was the mood in your house then at that moment? I was. I think I started violently shaking uh, my friend that was next to me and yelling, it went in, it went in, even though like, obviously he knows. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I, I just am like s- slowly beginning to black out and like pure euphoria. And then, so that one, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of added time in there, but like, I don't, there was no, there weren't a lot of threats, right? I feel like you were never, no, it, we were never comfortable, but there was never a moment in there where I thought, oh crud, we're about, you know, we're going to lose this and it's going to, it's right. going to be a 3-3 draw on the road or anything like that. Like it seemed like it's a pretty clean finish on, well, and the, it's, on the way out. This may be a good point to like remember like they're playing a man down and scrambling on defense for the better part of 45 minutes and then in the what ended up being like probably 10 or 11 minutes of extra time like it's not easy to expect them to just find this belief after losing a two-goal lead running around a man down to be able to collect themselves. So it just never looked clean. It seems like they were just long balling it and we were collecting it and redistributing, trying to slow it down a lot of time wasting and it worked. Yeah, it worked. Oh, and so one other important thing we didn't talk about what happened uh, as far as the social environment to so the fan environment for Austin FC, a very important moment happened at the 80th minute. I believe oh, that was when yes. Pollo FC was retrieved yes. from security jail. So which one of us wants to cover this story? I think you should take the lead on it. Okay, so I don't. Were you on like Twitter and stuff all day? Uh, no, like I Saturday heard a lot of firsthand okay. recaps since Zach Lyons okay. gave me like a very thorough rundown of this cinematic story. Of yeah, it was a piece of genius. So uh, we've talked about polio several times. So like, hopefully, listeners to the show will know that there's a rubber chicken in a jersey that travels to every match the, home and away. The, the rubber chicken. The rubber chicken. Yes, and so he got confiscated by. Uh, DC United security before the match for being, I believe, uh, unregistered inflatable. So apparently, do you, think, do you think they they knew though? I mean, like especially with <laughs> where this story goes, do you think they were just like, mm, let's make up a rule real quick? Let's make up a rule. We, we can tell we, where this is going. Yeah, we can't have him on the inside. So yeah, he gets confiscated by security. There's some great pictures of like Alfredo from the team, like <laughs> yes, trying, I saw that one, trying to defend Polio and claim Polio. I think Seth Rao was part of it too, who sort of organizes all the away travel for the fans and. I guess the deal that they made was that Polio would, would be freed at the 80th minute, which exactly coincided with when the comeback started. And so there's this great picture of Trevor, Polio's owner, like running up the stairs with Polio at hand, like one minute before the goal starts. So I think, <laughs> I mean, I think we have our hero. We we have on, we Easter, on our Easter weekend, we have the, I, spoiler, the, the man oh returns. The egg is hatched and Polio FC came out to claim the three points for Austin FC. But honestly, a, a huge huge shame on the league for not putting him in the uh team of the week you know like, for I, sure. I was I, I couldn't even believe what i was seeing when the, there wasn't a rubber chicken on that graphic so gabrielson makes the first team diego makes the bench 
There's no polio. But in the, the false mm-hmm. nine, Texas also wrote the most beautiful like minute by minute story <laughs> about it, which I will put in the show notes and, and I'll tweet out. I think we tweeted out for the Moon Tower account. Tweet it again. We'll we'll tweet it again. But yeah, what what a moment. What a the the moment a legend was born. It was just and it's like it's one of the most this is something we talked about before too. Like I kind of knew we were gonna have this cool fan culture, but things like I this, like, I never I never expected, right? There's so much like creativity, like the things people get what? behind, the legends you know, honestly, that are made, it's just so random. Take a minute to realize we are talking about a game about a soccer team in Austin, Texas, where nearly 300 fans traveled. People are stripping down in their speedos in the stands, you know, sneaking rubber chickens in. And after this incredible historic victory, we have someone writing these incredible articles about the the influence of the rubber chicken. Like life could not be better. Life could not be better. It could. Yeah, it could not be. Let's, Let's go over a few more soccer things. Now we've covered that. So Ola Kamara's night. I mean, two goals, two yellows, gets thrown out of the game. That's kind of the perfect. Do you have you ever heard that about uh do you know who Gordy Howe is? It's like the leading scorer in the history of the National Hockey League, but he also got thrown mm-hmm. out of a lot of games. So you used to talk about that being a Gordy Howe night where you got like a yeah. hat trick. You get if you get a hat trick and you get tossed. Right. It's, it's that kind of <laughs> night. And I feel like that I feel like Ola Kamara almost had that. Um but that certainly changed the fortunes of Austin. And like we talked about the injury, that that helped too. Um, on the Austin side, what did you think about Alex Ring? Like that guy is polarizing. And, you, you know, know I, I don't know what people see. There's a lot of opinions on both sides of that. So where, where do you stand there? Here's my thing with the Alex Ring discourse is, one, I don't think he's as bad as people are claiming he is. I think we're fixated on him because he's normally like, Mr. Reliable. Um, and two, and check his stats if you're in doubt of that. I mean, Taylor Rudolph posted some really good stats today of like, you know, he's got like, he's like leading us in expected assists, I think. Like he's, he's still contributing in a good way. But regardless, even if he is out of form or you're convinced, regardless of what anyone says that he's out of form, there's not one guy on this team I would rather be out of form at the beginning of the season because if there's anyone you expect to figure it out on their own and regain form and get consistent again, it's gotta be Alex rain. Right. So even if he is like off a few steps lately, like who cares? That's great. We're at the beginning of the season. This is when he should be. This is the best time for him to be missing a few beats. Yeah. And I, yeah. I feel like the, the, the problems that he has, he's having is he's doing the things that the mistakes that he's making or the things that he's not doing are like making connections at the end. And it's like the things that people see the most, right. Like yeah. all the good, all the good Alex Ring things but, are like. There's a couple of assists he almost had. Um, I was about to say, I think if that he has that one really clever pass where he waits just a half step more, tosses it over Hamid who's collapsing on him, and it 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 finds Cascante's head with no goal in front of him. He just can't meet it, and so it hits the crossbar and and goes out. But like if that went in, we would probably be like, wow, Alex Ring really turned that game around for us. Yeah, I think I, I would agree with you on that. And then, so Danny Houston. I mean, he obviously scored a goal. I mean, in some ways, he almost he could have had a hat trick. Like, what do you think from yeah. what you saw to him? I'm just I'm one. I'm really impressed because I I'm a big believer that the mental side of the game is the biggest factor. And to be a striker where you're purely judged on goals, to come in after such a long break, after the new recruit in Arudi is is starting to really shine early on, to play as confidently as he did, to take the chances he took. I mean, he had that just sick like 
just half turns around and and quick release and hits it off the crossbar from like almost like the edge of the box. Like he wasn't close at all. He just, he was trying stuff. He was, he seemed very confident and sure of himself, which is just an insane thing to accept given the, how the last year has been for him. And like we said earlier, it's just, it's encouraging to see because he, he, it wasn't just the goal and the, the chance that was close. Like he just generally looked like he was contributing a lot more than I remember when, when he first got a run of games. Yeah, and I think so. Those those are all things on the good side. So I think on the negative side, like Johan Valencia did not have a great game. What what did you think about what you saw out of him? I also love that this is just like you making a point and making me talk about it. But yeah, <laughs> no hot that's, takes that's from you. Gonna go. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I I don't know. I think maybe some of that is the formation change where he's got Pereira, who's kind of occupying that space most games. Like maybe there's a bit of miscommunication, um, and also too we can't forget it's somewhat early in the season. He's a new player. We gave so many people so much grace last year and time to adjust. Like, I think he needs the same thing. I have no doubt about his quality and he's already had some really good performances for us this season. I think it's just, it's raining. It's a way it's a bit of a chaotic game and you know, there's going to be off nights. That's why depth matters. It's because this is MLS. Everyone can't be a hundred like the best player on the field every night or the best version of himself every night. So I, I think he had a bad game. Yeah. But I'm not worried about it. Yeah. That, that was good to see the, to, to the point on the, like the depth, the fact that we had the depth to take him out, to like change formation, right. to bring in a guy like Ethan Finley yeah. and like turn the game around is something that we did not have at all last year. I think that was something that the, the Claudio and the guys that build the roster really deserve a lot of credit for. Yeah. Depth is not just about having cover for when you're you have injury issues you know like this is the the really great part is we've got a packed schedule this week and valencia is going to be frustrated with himself that he you know cannot get through danny Pereira for the starting position you, you know how hard that man's probably going to be training this week like that's exactly what we want like this one-off game is probably going to raise the competition level at that holding six spot so much yeah another guy that not a player but like i think josh wolf had a really good day too yeah. like he tried something it didn't work he learned from it he adjusted you know he i mean it, in the of course they're gonna edit the video to look the most positive way possible but you know in the video like he seemed to really talk about how that what happened was sort of the coming to fruition of all the things that they had worked on during the week yep. and like all the plans he had made so i feel like that was a it was a really good match from from josh and uh and i think it's good for them to do that to get those points on the road and i think that'll that'll lead to better results well you know what going i want to say something about Josh Wolf too, because I I see so many people, you know, being like, Oh, where's the wolf out crowd now? Like when we did this podcast, I had to be the wolf out guy. And like, I was not quiet about my frustrations with him at points last year, but credit where it's due. This is, this is why this is what we want to see. He's, he's improving. And, and not just that the team's suddenly doing better because we have more pieces to work with and better coverage for death, but he's growing as a manager, which is what I wanted to see last season. That's, that's where my frustration always came from. It wasn't that, Hey, like, you know, he's trying new stuff and it's still not working. It's like, it felt like we just kept making the same mistakes and not do, navigating the the handicaps we were being, you know, delivered with all these injuries. And so I was just like, well, where's the sign of improvement from the coach? And I'm seeing it now. He tried something which I think was worth trying considering the absence of Cecilio and he changed it and he didn't waste time changing it, you know, and, and even bigger to his credit, I would say 
it is an incredibly difficult thing to have a season as bad as ours last year in your first season and convince a group of players to believe in something. And these players believe. And that, I think, all should be attributed to him and the front office because that is a big hill to climb. And to be this early and seeing this much improvement, this much of a mentality shift is 100% to him. And he deserves a lot of credit for that because that is, that's got to be one of the hardest things to do. Well, so I'll have to take back my statement. Uh, I think it was like the first game when they did that like grainy, like Josh Wolf proves the doubters wrong. And it had like me saying that I didn't know if he had the capacity <laughs> to learn and adjust. I'll take that back now because it did. And I think to the uh, front office's credit overall, like bringing in like Felipe and Maxi is like super glue guys who, and Felipe doesn't even see a ton of time, but they're like the kind of guys who can help a coach like Josh Wolf you know, execute on his vision because like they're, they're, they're a hundred percent on in on that all the time. Yeah. And now we know Gabrielson, my God, that halftime speech. Like I ran through the wall in my living room just because I had to, he motivated me so much, you know, I'm going to have to fix that tomorrow, but it was worth it. Like I, it's like every guy we brought in is a true leader and is just like bringing up the spirits. It, it really is. I just feel like we're, we're getting everything we could have hoped for. It's kind of like hard to digest sometimes. Yeah, so so with that win, so we for about eighteen hours, I think we were the first place team in the Western Conference, uh, the way then, God intended. And then, and then Sporting KC didn't even do a great job of putting up much of a fight against LA. And LA not took to be sorry to interrupt you, but not to be a conspiracy theorist, but Andrew Weebies Sporting Kansas City. <laughs> not, well, I was going to get there. Okay, so we <laughs> so now we're in second. So we're in second, and then MLSsoccer.com's Andrew Weeby. Like picked a fight with the entirety of the Austin FC fan base, uh, no. uh, again about sort of qualifying victories because we heard, uh, you know, Cincinnati wasn't a real victory because of this, and he Miami wasn't the because of that. Bonus games. They they were all bonus games, and now DC is a bonus game because of that. So this is again. I'm going to ask a question, and leave you the floor Lay to it just on me. to well, because I know I know you wanted to because I think you yeah. like, <laughs> I, lay it on me the thing I told you to bring up. Um. Yeah, I, I wrote it in the outline, <laughs> and you're like. Ask me this anyhow. I was like, well, it's there, but okay. Yeah. So Chris, how do you feel about Andrew Weeby's take on Austin's performance so far? Well, I, one, I think it's weird to me how fixated and convinced he seems to be on like bat- battling every Austin FC fan in his mentions. Like, I, I don't know what is going on with him. I know he's moved to Kansas city. I'm sure he's getting bored, cooped up in his basement, recording extra time and needs to like release a little bit, but I don't know why he's picked us, but whatever. Um, but to his point, you know, if if you don't follow him to spare you the follow, he's basically saying, like Jeremiah just said, like these are all bonus games, you know. And if you look at the stats, most of the teams we're playing are below the playoff line right now, or or were last year not good teams. And so there's some merit to that comment, but he's judging us, and I think some people in the media are judging us to the standard of like is Austin the real deal, which is somehow equating to, is Austin going to win the league? Which, by the way, hell yeah. Yes, of course. Duh. Yeah. But, um, you know, but it really doesn't need to be that extreme right now. We are a team that was second to last in our conference, who's now in second place. Our defense is looking better. Our coach is making better decisions. We're the number one offensive team in the league. Like, you don't have to say we're going to win MLS Cup and sweep the supporter shield to, to say we we've improved dramatically and it's worth being excited about, you know, because Lord knows if the galaxy had an off season 
and then suddenly we're doing half as good or looking half as promising as we were now, it would be talked about until the final minute of that podcast. And so I think it's it's bizarre he's fighting with all of us. I think it is bizarre that this narrative seems to be so hard to digest for so many people in the media. But, you know, it's it's a team worth crediting right now. And they're on the up. And yeah, maybe it doesn't pan out against all of the top teams. And there certainly will be some losses coming our way just because that's what happens in a season. But the signs of improvement are exactly where you could want them to be. And to be this high up this early on, like, I don't know what more people want from us. We look great. And then I love that Felipe replied to the post with a, oh I think he said, keep, God. keep, keep doubting us. Or I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something along those lines. But that again, there's so much love for that man. I had to have someone talk me down from not getting that tattooed on my body. That exact tweet. <laughs> keep doubting us. God, I love him so much. I, I loved it. Well, we, okay. So that's, I think, is there anything you want else you want to say about the actual game against DC United? Cause I know we want to talk about this week and sort of, in the yeah. greater context of things, it's our first three-game week and what that means. But I want to give the chance to wrap up DC if you want to before. I appreciate that. The last thing I would say on it, and I think the biggest takeaway from this game is, like I said, it was not the cleanest game we've played. We, it's not the sharpest we looked by any means, even in the second half, in my opinion. A lot of sloppy giveaways and loose passing. But it, the main objective this season should have been changing the belief, the mentality of this team. And this result, to, to come back from 2-0 down in 10 minutes at the death of the game and win is going to do us more good than if we had won every game prior to this and looked good every time. Because now, any situation where we're down, any time they, last season where they would have buried their heads and lost belief, or any time a normal team would lose belief because you're 2-0 down with 10 minutes to go, this team's going to be able to dig deep. Like this is how you you bring a team together and, and, and shift a mentality in a really deep-rooted way. And so I think we're going to look back at the end of the season as this being a major turning point, even though it doesn't really change much about the standings or the table. You know, we are already in good form. And it, it wasn't the, the greatest win in terms of performance, but that belief, you can't manufacture that. And I'm just excited to see over the coming months how they look mentally and how they display themselves on the field because i really think this is just a huge part of the game that only comes in those special moments and i'm grateful that we took advantage of this special moment we got yeah it's a really good it's, so this is their first time to come from behind from multiple come from multiple goals behind ever right i think they came from behind in denver mm -hmm. down 10 is the first time that they've been down yeah. two or more and come back and then you can't you cannot you can't overrate that enough so okay so let's talk about three game weeks because we're about to have our first one. Like, yes, is this team deep enough this year to do better than we did last year? Because one of the things that came out this week was uh, Chris Bills did this analysis of, uh, I guess, basically half the time last season we were playing we were playing three game weeks and we were just really because we had no depth at all. We were really really bad and sort of like a lot of the differential and results early a year later in the year came down to the fact that when the schedule got congested, we did not have the horses to be able to keep up with the rest right. of the competition. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've, we've said a few times already, like we're a deep team now and we've definitely got the, the pieces to rotate and manage a three game week. Um, and we'll get into it in a bit, but you know, the two opponents we've got certainly don't have the depth and quality that we do. And so we're well set up and this is going to be another fun test to see, 
how Josh manages that. Because I think some of the lowest points for me last season were those compact weeks where I really didn't like the choices he made. So now that he's got the pieces, I, I think he's really well set up to change that perception. All right, let's go to San Antonio. Let's go to the, the first one of those. And before we get into this, this so the San Antonio stuff is all going to come courtesy of Harry, um, our mm-hmm. friend in San Antonio, who did a, did a beautiful write-up for us. But what do you expect yeah, to see from to Harry? What do you expect to see from Josh Wolf against San Antonio? Complete rotation, partial rotation? Okay, I'm glad you said that because I another thing I see a lot of people on Twitter saying is like, all right, like full rotation. They're posting these lineups where it's like virtually everyone is swapped. And um, again, you know, if anyone's new to MLS and, you know, American soccer, uh, this game is against a lower division team in San Antonio. And it's a tournament where, you know, you guys have talked about US Open Cup, go find those podcasts to to educate so on and spend a little time. But so there's some reason to believe like, yeah, heavy rotation is acceptable because we're paying a, a team in a division lower than ours. It should be of lesser quality. Let's do it. But I'm a really big believer, like full rotation is never a good idea because if you're putting on the B team in the hopes of giving them some confidence a run a play, you know, getting their feet wet a little bit, it loses a lot of value if they're only playing with the other bench players. Like Kip Keller doesn't get good experience if he's only playing, you know, with Gallagher and Romagna beside him, because then if we need him, he's not going to have any chemistry with Gabrielson and, and Kolmanich. Like you want to mix some in here and there so that you don't lose the quality of the first team dramatically, but also so that those guys who are getting a shot are getting the real shot and not some diluted version of it where it's just this B team that never gets to play together. And so to answer your question after that long rant, you know, I'm hoping to see very clever rotation. You know, if I want to see some of the guys that were brought out early in the last game start again, I want to, you know, I want to see four or five at least of our normal starters still starting this time. And hopefully we don't experiment with the lineup too much. I mean, if we're going to, this is the better game to do so, but hopefully we just stick with the formation we know and just give guys a chance because um, this is a good shot to do it. Yeah, I think I think somebody like you, I can see Ring getting most or all of a day off, right? And then you get some Felipe time there. I think you have to see where you have the the players to be able to do that. Do you think we'll see extended Rodney Redis minutes? Is, is this how much rotation we're going to do? I do think we will, though that's maybe the one guy I wouldn't be opposed to leaving off in general. I'm, I'm probably Team Stroud <laughs> in that regard. The one person I do really adamantly want to see get minutes in this, though, is actually Danny Hooson because he's got to have more confidence than he's had since he joined this team and give him, give him the chance to go double it down. You know, like if he can come in, score a couple goals against San Antonio, I don't care who the team is. If, if his week is a, you know, two, three goal week against multiple opponents, we suddenly have a real sense of competition at the striker position, which is great. So I really hope he gets the shot here. And if not, I hope he starts against Vancouver because I think this is such a prime moment to, amplify his confidence and, and really help him turn a corner yeah i could i'll agree with you there too i think it would be a great time to see him get significant minutes too so here's what you know about san antonio they're in the usl uh five wins no draws one loss they're sitting third in the western conference behind san diego who has two games in hand and they're tied with colorado on points um seven and four seven goals scored and four allowed in six games their only loss came to phoenix rising at home um, I mean, they're pretty strong USL side. Yeah. Harry's been pretty enthusiastic, expects a lot out of them this year. Um, 
Landon Donovan, Landon Donovan said they want to make the game chippy, ugly, and a lot of fouls. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I love it. It's got the making of a good first uh, rivalry game, doesn't it? But he, you know, Harry was also telling us like their style of play is high press, quick on the counter, you know, like let you have have possession of the ball and then strike quickly and aggressively. And that's if if you want to write up the dream way to play our, our style against us at Played least against our style yeah that's how you should do it it's just if you can pull it off versus if we can pull it off our game better and so that's going to be a really fun thing to watch and maybe another good point on how you rotate because if maybe it's a full rotation and it's like romania and keller in the back line you know keller's got some experience right so he's not as much of a risk but if it's high press you can't afford to be slow and rusty on your passing out of the back like it could really open itself up yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good point too. So I think uh, Harry says that midfield is the key um, for San Antonio. They got several players with MLS experience. The captain's number six, Victor Hero, who goes by PC for some reason, which does not don't understand how those fit together, but it's okay. Hmm. Good, uh, <laughs> but good for him. <laughs> and then uh, Mohamed Abu, who's made over two hundred appearances in MLS since twenty ten, and Connor Maloney from. Columbus Crew. So, I mean, they, sh- I mean, they're a lower division side, but it's not like we're playing a high school team. I mean, it seems like they have, exactly. they have some depth, they have some quality. I've, you know, he probably won't play goalkeeper, but they have the best beard in USL, Matt Cardoni, <laughs> brother to Austin's own Tony Cardoni. And I, I asked Tony, I went and watched the Liverpool game, Champions League game of the last week, asked him where he's going to sit. And he, I believe he's going to be in, in neither supporter section. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, you could be a life. It's hard to, it would be hard to go against your brother. You're hard to no. go against your brother and also hard to go against Jer- your city. Jeremiah, my blood bleeds Faraday now. So if <laughs> this right? doesn't, then <laughs> sit on the opposite side for me. I'm not sitting with you. Well, I've got, um, they, they, they never listen. So I've got one of my sisters that I might have a different opinion about than the other two, but it'll be okay. <laughs> I think my mom might listen. So hopefully she won't tell them. Right. But you no, know, I think to your point, it, it should be a really good game. I think anyone that's going into this saying this is an easy three points, easy victory, like, Look up results from past U.S. Open Cups for MLS teams. It is not a guarantee, and especially against one of the better USL sides. Um, so I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a fun tactical matchup. I think San Antonio is a team worthy of our respect. And it, I'm just excited to see who we play, how they look. Um, I don't think you can roll out a super, super heavy rotation and just steamroll them. Um, and especially, too, like going back to the mental side of this, if I'm San Antonio and I'm going in – preaching the the message of the underdog and Austin heavy rotates and it's like a tie game at halftime who do you think is going to come out in the second half more motivated even if we're subbing off or subbing on our better players like that's not a guaranteed win no that's very true it's very true so let's let's go to the weekend so do you think are there people that we will see Wednesday that then we will not see over the weekend or do you think it's just when we may see them shorter on Wednesday like like what do you think about the Vancouver matchup I think because we're missing Cecilio, it's hard to pinpoint exactly who's going to get rested when. I think the smart thing would have would be to have um, a, a minimal or like average amount of rotation Wednesday and have planned substitutions. You know, I don't think you should just like leave guys like Triusi, um or, or Fagundes at home. Like they should still get a few minutes and then just kind of swap that approach for Saturday so that you still have in both games have a core of, of your a team and 
and even the guys that could come in are, are fresh enough to do so. So I don't know that there's like a, I really hope to see this guy in this game and this guy in this game. Like I said, the only thing I'm really wanting to see is that Houston starts in one of them because I think he's the one that's really got a lot to earn and, and probably Valencia as well. You know, like both are good chances to gain back some confidence for those guys. Yeah. So here's what we know about Vancouver. So we usually start with history. Vancouver's history is kind of lame and boring. They're like, <laughs> they're like the third, they began playing 2011. They're the third wheel in the Cascadia, Cascadia Cup. They haven't been terribly successful since joining the league, but they still get a lot of people to show up. I was about to say, the one thing they do deserve credit on is they've never had a ton of success historically, but their fans are, they stick it out, man. And they, and they can get really loud in there and they still can pack that stadium. So credit to the fans in Vancouver. So in 2021, they finished sixth in the West, made the playoffs for the first time since 2017, but lost in the first round of the playoffs. And speaking of, I, I, I looked this up because of the Cups, but they lost to Pacific FC in the first round of the the first match that they had in the Canada Cup, which is like their mm-hmm. version of the U.S. Open Cup. And Pacific FC plays in a 6,200-seat stadium. So I think it was a really good example of how a league team yep. is not, if they're not prepared and don't try, you know, they, they can lose to a, to a lower-level club. Exactly. So 2022, so Vanny Sartini came in, what was that, last year? The coach? Mm-hmm. He's probably my favorite part of the team, I think, beyond yeah, this, any this- players. He's definitely like a fan's dream coach because he's just super passionate and outspoken. It would be like if if someone let me take five shots before a game and manage the team. Like it's <laughs> it's awesome. Like his you need to look up his quotes from last year. They're they're truly incredible. So he's yeah, so he's in. He's always exciting. They didn't really add a lot. You know, their best players, Ryan Gold and Brian White, they were there before. So Maxine Kerpo was out, Tristan Blackman was in. I was I was about to say they they've probably lost more than they've gained they in Maxine Cropo, who's now the goalkeeper of LAFC. But I think he is a top two keeper in the league. Like just it's a big loss. Oh, you know who else they have in who's been a really solid starter is little Sebastian Burhalter, I believe, has if not I think he's played in the last four or five matches, maybe started them all. And I mean, he's actually probably, been pretty decent. I mean, but also that's probably the best way to measure them up right now is that he's becoming a locked on start. And I'm not even saying that to totally bash Burhalter, but we know him. If you're trying to We've get a good measure him, yeah. on these guys, like that's who's claiming starting spots right now. And, and oh, sorry, Jeremy, I don't want to interrupt you. You got more. No, no, go ahead. Here. No, that's all I got. They So to that, they sit 13th in the West, six goals for 14 goals against, and we've got them at home. If ever a match, this well, is the kind of thing that if we're a better team, we should win this run going away, even yeah, with three matches in a week. You know, as Andrew Weeby said, it's another perfect bonus game. And you know, he's <laughs> exactly. always been right. So, but to uh, that same point, we tend to do pretty well with the, the dang bonus games. So um, you just said something, though, that I think is really key in how I'm like getting ready for this game is how many goals allowed? 14. 14 against the best offense in the league. And so even with heavy rotation, I think whoever we send out, especially at striker, Wolf needs to say, take your shots, take the shots. Like if there's ever a day to not take the extra pass, just they've clearly are lacking in the goalkeeper position. They're leaking goals left and right. I think the only big tactical key I have, because I was trying to look them up too, and it doesn't seem like anyone's really caught form for them. There's not like a real defined thing to look out for because they haven't really got their groove yet. So let's go play our system. Let's play our ball and just be ruthless. Let's take some chances because this is, a pretty primed and ready game to to turn a few of those in. Yeah, I think 
I can't imagine a better summary than that. Like, there's no reason that we shouldn't come out of this with three more points, and hopefully we'll be at worst sitting second in the West See, if it turns Jeremy, out this way at the end of the week. Jeremiah, this is why I love coming on the podcast with you. You just compliment me and say I did a great job <laughs> analyzing that. And every time I'm, I do it with Landon, he's like, but did you know this obscure so- statistic from three years ago, which is going to be the key to how they'll beat us? I'm like, okay, I mean, that's a yeah, that's another good point, Landon. <laughs> well, I was going to – yeah, before you we wrap this up – I don't, I know. <laughs> At halftime, I was thinking like, oh man, if we just, you know, if it ends, if we lose, if we end like losing 4-0 or something, and this show is just like Chris and I trashing everything that was going on without some like Landon's like peaceful counterbalance. Yeah, it would have been bad. It would have been, it would have been really bad. So I think if we were going to go one way or the other, this like happy overreaction mode is probably what we, pe- what people want to hear. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I actually texted Ruben Gabrielson at halftime and said, Hey dude, like don't ruin this podcast episode for us. Okay. We're we doing wanna, stuff, man. You know how bad this episode is going to be if y'all don't win. And it's cool to see he reacted to that with his halftime speech. So I love it. Was there anything else we need to talk about before we, before we throw it to the, uh, the ads and the interview with Sean Rubio? Um, I don't know, man. I think, I think like you said, just to button it all up, like it's, it is a really favorable week for us to rotate and still claim a lot of points um, I think as long as we respect San Antonio, rotate smartly so we still got a strong squad against Vancouver and and take our chances. Like, can you imagine if we end this week three victories? I mean, be could be top of the thing. table. Like, it's it's glorious. You love to see it. The legend grows. Love to see it. And Polio will be there for it all. So, all right. Yes. This has been fun, man. Let's let's do this again sometime. I'd love to. We want to remind everyone that we are still doing a ticket giveaway for the next game on April 23rd, thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group. To enter, go to MoonTowerSoccer.com and then click on the free ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar, or you can click the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FEF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.law. All right, we are joined by Sean Rubio, the Director of Player Personnel for Austin FC. Sean, great to see you, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so for our listeners who don't know what it is that you do, tell us what exactly is a Director of Player Personnel? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, for us internally, it, we call it talent management. So I uh, I oversee the talent management department effectively. So that is all aspects of player movement in and out of the club. Um, and so for that process, we, I kind of think of it in three areas of identification, recruitment, and negotiation. And so I kind of have my hands full with, with all three of those, um, kind of areas with the first team, um, with the MLS next pro team next season, and, uh, even into the Academy as well. So, um, it's that, um, that vertical, if you want to call it that, that I I'm really focused on. So we, on our show, we like to get into the weeds and try to understand the the bizarre animal that is MLS roster building. And 
so listeners will know, like, just to put it into context, you're one of the people who is responsible for making those puzzle pieces fit, right? Yeah, uh, to a degree. I mean, obviously, I'm not the ultimate decision maker on some of this stuff, but uh, I do spend a lot of time thinking about it, that's for sure, <laughs> and kind of uh, playing with those puzzle pieces, I suppose, in some type of way of seeing what can fit in different scenarios. It's a lot of scenario building based on you know decisions we may want to make or, or moves we may want to make. So yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of that and a lot of in the weed stuff for sure. I think, you know, this sport, well, this league particularly is like really unique because you've got the whole world to choose from, right? As opposed to like your average American professional sport where there's like all these, there's every different factors and bigger leagues and small leagues and stuff like that. So like when you think about players, like what is your, where's your player list come from when you're looking to identify? Is it scouts? Is it Claudio? Is it you? Like what, how does that look when you're identifying targets? Yeah. I mean, I think you never want to, turn stuff away to begin with, right? I mean, it you, you want to be open to a player coming from anywhere if, if they have the quality and they have some of the characteristics that we'd want. Um, in general, it, it it is a wide range. I mean, it can be coming from our scouts, um, from Claudio, from myself, from Josh. I mean, it, again, we keep it open um, and having conversations with clubs around the world, with agents, with other contacts. Um, yeah, it's it really is a people business at the end of the day. I mean, I Obviously, I do a lot of number crunching, I suppose, and, and work with data and things like that. But a lot of this ends up being, um, if not relationships, then just sort of talking to people and, and getting leads on potentially players to bring in. So is would you say that fourth division co-rec soccer is too low of a level to, to have a chance at making a team like Austin? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably about where I am, and I don't think I'm I'm close. I don't I don't know <laughs> if I'm it. getting on the next pro roster either. So, um, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm not sure we're gonna we're gonna get there. I think there's a staff team that plays in in some type of level like that, and um, yeah, I'm not sure we're getting players out of that level, unfortunately. <laughs> so, how many players would you say Austin FC is tracking at a given time? That's a great question. I mean. this is a, this is probably a bad answer. It kind of depends on what you mean by tracking though. Right. I mean, there's, there's sort of lower levels and higher levels of um, contact, let's say. Um, But it, it's really more about, it goes back to the scenario piece a little bit is we want to have the ability to adapt and based on needs. So at any given time, we have a list by position or by budget sort of category and kind of blending those together of like, okay, if we need to go make an addition, here's here's our starting point at least of like guys in x position at y sort of broad budget number and then we kind of work off of that so it i don't want to not answer it but it's hard to put a number on it as much as um that that might help give a little bit of color i suppose i like to imagine it's like a like a piece of paper with a bunch of jotted down names and like things scratched out too but i assume it's a little bit more sophisticated to that when you talk about the list it is it is i mean it you know, starting from as an expansion club, the, that's one of the fun parts behind the scenes is getting to build a lot of that, right? I mean, um, I, I came from Toronto FC and there was a ton of infrastructure even before I got there. And so there it's a little bit of maybe refreshing lists rather than figuring out where that list is actually going to live. Um, so it's maybe a different conversation, a different type of problem. But yeah, I mean, it, it it's a little bit more than just names on a list on a piece of paper, but, um, you know, uh, philosophically it's maybe not much more than that almost sometimes so you you're let's say you're looking at your your list of names jotted down on a piece of paper and you're now working to acquire a target for a specific position 
What is that process like? I know I've heard you describe it as spinning plates before. Can you expand on on that metaphor and and kind of explain what the process of signing a player looks like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, <laughs> it's almost like you're never actually signing one player. You're you're actually trying to sign five or six players and hoping that one of them actually occurs. <laughs> um, and five or six, I mean, that can be nine or ten or twelve. I mean, it that number can can kind of vary as well. But again, it, it kind of dovetails on what I said before. I was like, okay, there's a positional need, certain characteristics on that position and a broad budget that we have for a particular edition. That gives you a list of targets um, or again, an initial list that's going to evolve as we continue to dig. But um, you're probably starting to get in some type of contact with a large number of those players. I mean, it's not, it's, you're, if you're only going after one player to fill a role, you're it's a bad strategy <laughs> for the most part. Um, you really need to have a number of players that you feel really good about because um, most of those are going to fall by the wayside for one reason or another, whether it's our decision, the club they're at decision, the player's decision, the agent's decision, the partner of the player's decision. I mean, it, there's, there's a number of ways that things can, can kind of fall apart. And so you have to have uh, in some ways as many plate spinning as possible so that you can make sure you can land one and ideally you're the one making the final call of, okay, we've got four guys that, that feel really good um, on all sides and, and we can make the best decision off of that. So what are the, what would you say the factors are aside from money that, that you guys can, can present to a player to try to attract them to come to a team? It's a good question. I, I kind of lump everything into uh, actually a single category, which I would call like the environment. So the environment can include a lot of different things, right? The environment is our facilities. The environment is also Austin and the, the market and everything that can have. The environment I would even say is like style of play. Like that's included in sort of the, the environment that we're creating for a player to hopefully come in and succeed. So those are maybe a couple categories or, or areas that we would, kind of want to impress upon a player. But I do think for me, at least it all is under this larger umbrella of the environment, which for us is, you know, we talk a lot about being a player first environment and um, trying to show that to players that potentially are coming in. Um, that, that's something that I think it's, it's easier to see once you're here, but we do our best to kind of show that ahead of time. Um, and, and again, all those factors can, can definitely play a role. Yeah, I think so. Like we as fans, obviously, like to think that we have a part of that, um, and we we hear that, uh, you know, like when we sign guys, like Drew, Sebastian Juicy, right, mentioned sort of the the game day atmosphere. Like, is that is that like a legitimately a really big selling point, or is that? I think so. Down I mean, the list, gets, or what do you think? It gets talked about. I mean, that I, I think that that's as good of an indication as anything, right? It's it's not a non entity, <laughs> and where does it land compared to everything else? I mean, you kind of have to ask the players, I think, but it's something we obviously highlight and, and do our best to show again, it's um, whether it's photos or videos or um, you know, in theory players, if they're considering coming to our club, they're, they're going to be doing their own research as well. And a lot of times it can come from that. Like we'll hear it from them as much as it's us sort of presenting that, which again, I think speaks to the, the impact it has because it's players finding that on their own or agents mentioning it rather than us sort of selling it for lack of a better term. Yeah, I was going to ask, do y'all have like a sizzle reel video? But I guess like all the players are on Instagram now, right? So they just like type in Austin FC and you're going to see all the game day hype stuff that not only the team puts out, but that fans are putting out as well. Yeah, I mean, I, without getting too far into it, we do have a number of assets that we sort of 
um, have put together and actually spent a lot of time on in terms of um, whether it's presentations or again, videos, photos, like there's a, a wide array of things that we try and put in front of the player to, to get them excited and or interested and or excited to, to come to the club. Also, I was listening to um, uh, Andrew Delalo on uh, talking to Adrian the other day on the Verde and Black podcast, talking about bringing in these uh, like other teams coming in for preseason camp and things like that. And he Andrew mentioned like this, this is all like kind of uh, uh, like would you say like scouting type things or not scouting, but like those teams see it and those players see the facilities and the environment here. And he was like, well, if you, whenever this guy's a free agent, then he's going to remember like, Oh, the people in Austin treated us really well. And those facilities were really nice. So I guess everything is a, is a bit of a scouting tool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's probably, I would put it more in the recruitment tool rather than scouting. I mean, obviously we'll we'll watch players, but um, yeah, I think so. And I mean, like Andrew does a fantastic job with players once, once they get here and, um, anytime we can sort of hand off some, uh, a player from, from my world into his world, obviously that's a, a good thing. Cause that means we've sort of gotten something across the line, but a hundred percent, and that can be the St. David's performance center and sort of the training environment or, you know, a match day environment. If it's a team that either plays a, a friendly game at the stadium or even in opposition to Austin FC, we've, we've definitely heard from players that have enjoyed playing in Austin, despite not being a member of the team. And um, you would think that that stays in their head in some ways as, as time moves on. Well, let's talk about allocation money, which is, you know, the most exciting possible. It's the most MLS of topics probably, but sure, uh, sure. you know, we, we, we research it and try to understand it, you know, as much as we can. And the, the league does a pretty good job of putting um, the description as much, as much as you can out there, like in terms of the description, like on the website and stuff, but are there, yep. Are there things that, uh, like, what's your advice on that to the to the average fan who's like trying to understand why something happens or doesn't happen? Like, what is, how does that translate into to what you do? Yeah, I mean, it it's a big part of it, right? As again, it's more on the it's more on the number crunching side as much as the, more so, <clears throat> excuse me, than the like scouting side. But I mean, the I guess the most basic explanation I can give is, and I'll actually use league terminology, is they call it a salary budget not a salary cap. Right. And I think that's really helpful. You know, the, the easiest way to think of it, I think is your salary budget is the salary cap, which is a, there is a hard amount that you kind of can't go over, which again, this is, we'll quickly get into the weeds here, but um, it's that salary cap number plus any GAM general allocation that you have plus TAM targeted allocation. And those three buckets basically create your larger salary budget. Um, GAM and the salary cap are fairly interchangeable. You can use GAM to to apply to a player and bring their budget number down. And TAM, like it says on the title, is targeted towards a certain group or or category of players based on their budget number. So those three things combined create your salary budget, um, and then you're kind of off to the races from there. Uh, The only additional piece being sort of discretionary money that would be for designated players or under-22 initiative players. That's my reader's digest version, at least. I don't know if that helps. <laughs> yeah. So, it, like, the way I, it's, it's helped me is that the allocation money, because you talk about like buying down things. And I think that language seems to like muddy it in my brain a little bit. I like to think of the allocation money as like bonus money on top of the regular salary budget that you can yeah, use I, for various I, things. I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, that's, 
<clears throat> a lot of how I'll even kind of calculate things ahead of time is kind of just throwing the biggest bucket together and say, okay, here's the number. We'll we'll work through who's going to get bought down and how that all looks. But if we just think of here's our total number and work backwards from there, it, that to me seems the the most simplest way forward. So is is the amount of available TAM and or GAM that a club has at any given time, is that a discrete number or is it kind of a fluid thing that's like, if this, then this? Um, I think it's split. Uh, the TAM number, each team has a, a set allotment of what they can, a, a number they can go up to in terms of TAM, but that is discretionary as well. So that's each ownership group is going to make a decision on how much of that pool they want to use. Um, but the GAM number is much more fluid as you see like that. That's what gets traded amongst clubs and things like that. Um, I think they've, it's gotten a bit simpler in the last few years because you used to be able to trade TAM as well. And there were two different kinds of TAM. And so you can imagine the complexities therein. But um, TAM is now no longer tradable because it is discretionary money. So it's it just doesn't really fit into a tradable asset type of world. Um, but GAM obviously is, is tradable. And that's you see that quite often around the league. One question I've always had about discretionary money is... I know that like people will call it the allocation money garber bucks that like certain parts of this money is being paid from the league to players, but then some of it is coming out of an owner's pocket. So like the money for a designated player, for example, would come directly from the owner or the organization. Is that, is that correct? In thinking for, the most, for the most part, I mean, each we'll use designated players as an example they, they still have a, a budget number that hits the salary cap. And right. so that portion of it is sort of covered by the larger sort of league pool of money. And then anything on top of that is sort of directly from ownership. Um, but it all blends together, right? Because <laughs> you could argue that this whole league pool of money, well, that's coming from ownership also. So like <laughs> it, it is splitting hairs, I guess, almost in some ways. But the yeah, the discretionary piece for designated players is anything on top of the the budget charge that sort of hits the the salary cap or the salary budget and then discretionary tam would that then come out of owner or organization pockets or does that come from the league uh that's discretionary that's discretionary so when going back again a few years they actually had two different those were the two different buckets one was sort of mandatory tam that was sort of league money for lack of a better term and the other half or not half the other portion of it was discretionary and now they've sort of evolved it where the, it's only discretionary. And I do think that that does take a step towards simplification, which is always the goal, I think. <laughs> um, so let's get into kind of the general roster build for Austin FC. I think there's some teams in the league, and I, I won't name any names here, uh, but some teams are still recovering from poor expansion roster builds. They made some decisions that kind of tied their hands for longer than they would have wanted them to and are kind of digging themselves out of a hole. It's, it feels like Austin has always been intentional about not doing that and like keeping, um, keeping money flexible, keeping roster spots flexible. Is, is that the case here in Austin? And, and why is that important for a team to do? I think it is. I mean, I think, for us, the focus is on always having the ability to improve the roster. I mean, that that's how, at least for me, that's how I kind of think about it. It's like, 
you always want to have the ability to make additions and, and or make changes based on needs, right? So, I mean, last year is a pretty clear example of, you know, certain things occurred within the roster that we didn't, we did, couldn't have planned for, I think is almost the best way to say it. But we, because of that, we still were able to make some, some major additions in the summer. Um, whereas if we had kind of um, pushed the whole boat out, I guess, uh, before the season started, it would have been much harder to make those types of changes or, or major additions as the year went on. And we, we identified areas that we needed to, to bring in some, some more help. Um, is, is this Austin FC roster done for the year? Or is the, do you think there's still a possibility for some additions to be made? over the summer or even sooner than that? Yeah, I mean, with, without giving too much away, I mean, I would maybe just refer to the previous answer a little bit. Like, we do always want to have the ability to make changes and make additions. So if if there is a situation that kind of comes up that makes sense, of course, we would we would try and pursue it. But um, yeah, I think that's that's always the, the goal, whether it's right now or in the summer or, or really anything. So... Um, We've talked about you being involved in building the first team roster, but you're also involved in planning for the upcoming MLS Next Pro team that Austin will have starting in 2023. So can you just tell our listeners a little bit about what MLS Next Pro is and how Austin FC and other MLS teams are are kind of thinking about these teams? Like, what is the purpose of these teams for an MLS club? Sure. I mean, it's I think nominally they're calling it a U23 league. But in, in reality, it's a bridge between the first team and the academy. And that's, that is kind of where it lives. You know, it's, I'll go back to the kind of what I mentioned before. It's another environment or it's a platform for players to continue their development um, within our club. So that can be academy players that are kind of moving along the pathway towards the first team. That could be players on the first team roster that um, maybe aren't getting minutes at that level and need, need to just continue to, get games and and play and even a place for external players to come in and players that we might think have potential to make the first team and kind of see how they do inside of our environment. So um, I think most teams are looking at it that way. Um, Again, I came from Toronto where TFC two has been, you know, uh, a mainstay uh, within USL and now in next pro for a number of years. So um, I've, I have, excuse me, I have some experience kind of seeing what that world looks like. Um, and yeah, it, it, it'll be a, a really exciting thing for us next year to, to have a team in that league. Yeah. So with that experience, I'm guessing for the most part, you'll, you'll sort of expect to see the same tactics and style of play from your MLS. Cause it seems like they're an extension of your, of your first team. Is that right? Like, should we expect to see them playing the same way and approaching the game the same way? Um, I, yes and no. I mean, I think it really depends. Cause I, I do think it's important to, you know, think about things like game management or, or whatever it may be, right? If, if, a, if a certain game or a certain moment within a game is asking for something, you, you want to be able to do that regardless of what maybe the, the larger philosophy is in a particular, a particular game or particular team. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the hope is the whole club is an extension of uh, an idea or philosophy, right? So that's first team Academy. And then again, the next pro, the next pro group coming in, the hope is that they're all, there are threads that kind of, follow through all of those things or else it's it gets pretty disjointed pretty quickly i think so who exactly will be allowed to play for a next pro team i know that they've announced recently that there's not going to be uh necessarily like a, a salary cap or a salary budget for these teams 
but I would imagine teams aren't going to go be spending a ton of money bringing in like international transfers for them all the time either. But so who like who can play on these teams and then what how fluid is it going to be for players going from a next pro team to the first team or vice versa? I mean, it, it'll be fluid. Um, that That is kind of the word for it. And I would even say, you know, putting matches to the side a little bit, even training is going to be fluid, right? You're going to have certain days you'll have academy players joining up to the next pro group and certain days they won't, or maybe we need positional needs or, or whatever that may be. Similar to the first team is, you know, there might be moments that, the, it, the the lineup for the weekend is kind of it there there's it's fairly clear and so some of those players might start training in preparation for our next pro game again depending on all the needs so um there definitely will be a fluidity within it in terms of who's eligible i mean it you're either assigned to a next pro contract or you're on an amateur agreement if you're an academy player that um we haven't signed to a pro contract so or you're an mls player coming down so again those are kind of the three areas but there aren't many restrictions on who may or may not participate in those games. And then for the players who are strictly on a next pro contract, I'm guessing there would be some restriction as to how they're able to participate in first team games, or would they be able to freely move up to the first team on a given week? No, I mean, it, we're not really in a place of um, like full two-way contracts, like some of the other pro leagues, I think the NBA, NHL, things like that. Um, so there there will be more movement, I guess, from the first team guys getting minutes in next pro. If they're going to go to the first team, that's a, that's a pretty large step of they're now on an MLS contract and, and part of the first team group effectively. So when you start next year, I mean, there's still kind of a decent age gap with the Academy. Like how, how do you see the current Academy teams or the players that you see at the 17 level, like fitting into the next pro team? Uh, I mean, they're, they'll be involved, you know, it's um, it'll be interesting in the short term because to your point, our oldest age groups um, for the Academy right now are 2005s and 2006s. And, you know, the, the MLS next pro league this season, obviously I'm doing a ton of analysis and uh, seeing what that league really looks like. And it feels like it's a little bit older than, than those age groups, of course, over time that will kind of balance itself out, but um, there, there'll be academy involvement, right? I mean, I think that's, again, if the, if the system's working well, then there should be, because that's sort of the next step in a player's development, but we'll, you know, they have to earn it at the same time. I mean, I don't, I don't think it makes sense for our entire U 17s group to now just be our next pro team. I think that, um, you, you want players to earn those opportunities rather than just hand them out because that's the next step on the, on the pathway, so to speak. Where they'll will there be another academy level added in between the 17s and the next pro? Like, is there going to be a U19 team, or will that be the next step? Um, it, I, I'm not sure where that lands. My my guess is that we probably just go 17 to next pro. Um, but there's a lot of the, the player development's a tricky thing, right? There's a lot of different sort of ways things can play out. The, the one thing I try and impress upon people is like player development's not linear. <laughs> it's um, it, there's a lot of twists and turns in a, a player's sort of pathway through <laughs> well life at a larger level. Right. <laughs> but, but their professional career as a soccer player. So there'll be a lot of players that go to university um, and, and hopefully play at a good level in university. And there might be players who start in university and then come play a next pro. There might be players that play 
play in next pros and amateur and then go to university and then come back. I mean, you can't go back and forth necessarily, but you know, again, I, I think each, each player is going to have their own path and we want to be able to support them regardless of what that path is. So we have people helping with university sort of recruitment and selection for our kids. If, if that's something they want to do, um, obviously there'll be players that we hope to bring in to the next pro team and start them on a professional pathway as well. But yeah, there, there's just, there's so many different variables and again, things that can come into play for, for an individual player's development. So I know you're uh, currently at the GA cup in up in Dallas um, watching, and I know you've been paying a lot of attention to the Academy team and kind of evaluating these Academy players. What do you like, how soon do you think we can expect the current batch of Academy players to start contributing to this first team? I know you just said that it's kind of, it's not linear and it's hard to, hard to uh, predict, but what is your kind of evaluation of when these guys are going to start making an impact? Uh, it's, I kind of want to put the responsibility on them, right? It's really, they're going to be the ones to decide that more than us. That that's kind of how I think about it is like, they'll again, it's whatever step it is, they'll, they'll get those opportunities when they've shown that they've, um, you know, succeeded throughout the pathway or, or whatever it may be. Right. So, um, I think the next pro piece is going to be a big part of that. The hope is the Academy players can come in and, and do well at that level. And then of course the the next step would be the first team if they've earned it. But um, yeah, I, I don't, it's a little bit foolhardy, I think, to try and put timelines on stuff like that because uh, it almost puts unnecessary pressure on the kids as it is, you know, we want them to enjoy the process for lack of a better term. Like, of course, there'll be guys that get antsy and want, want to move along maybe faster than, than we're prepared to, to support them on. But at the same time, we, we want them to, kind of go about things the right way and again, earn opportunities. And when they do, then we're happy to sort of push them along into an area that's going to challenge them. So I know you've been, you've worked for other clubs uh, too. That actually, so Toronto and San Jose, is there any other MLS clubs that you've worked at? No, no, those two. And then I spent some time at us soccer as well. Okay. So both of those teams have really good Academy systems. Um, being here in Austin for the last year or so year or two, how would you compare the, the Academy setup? And like, I guess, what is your impression of, of what Austin is doing with their Academy setup right now? Uh, I mean, I I think, (laughs) I think we're doing a great job if I'm honest. I mean, uh, you know, every, every market is really different. You know, Um, when I was in San Jose, that was sort of the early, years of the academy even i think the development academy had only started a few years before i joined um san jose so everything was quite new in that space um nick lima for example was in san jose's academy while i was there working with the first team um so that was it everything looks different than it did then so i don't i actually don't know if comparing is is even fair just because the the broader landscape has changed so much and then in toronto you know, it's a unique market for a couple different reasons. I mean, first of all, it's in Canada. That's the obvious one. Um, so it, you know, they're playing in, in some competitions that are tied to MLS, but they're also at times playing in competitions that are Canada specific or Ontario specific. Um, and the university piece is much different, you know, um, to get kids there into um, either Canadian schools or American schools, that, that whole process just looks a lot different. Um, whereas obviously if you're in the U S that's a little more traditional or, or that part is a little bit more linear of like you take certain classes and obviously we've 
gone through high school and, and potentially into university. So um, I, I do think there's a lot of differences uh, between all three of them, but, but I, I do think, and the results have shown that, you know, I think our, our boys are competing with pretty much everyone in MLS. I mean, they're, we have strong groups and, and of course, again, they have good results and bad results and that's okay. And um, the hope is they learn as much, if not more from the losses than the wins. I think that's always the hope. And you kind of, um, you kind of continue to evaluate from there. On the in the vein of youth talent evaluation, I know every MLS club kind of has a territory that will belong to them, and then there's kind of these no man land territories where anybody can recruit from. in In a a market the size of Austin, is pulling from those neutral territories going to be important for Austin to to compete with other academies who draw from larger populations or is it more about method methodology in the market that you're in i think it's a blend i mean obviously you want to cast as wide a net as possible it's similar to the first team in some ways right it's like if there's a player in a non-exclusive homegrown territory that we see quality and interesting characteristics in well then we we want to take a bigger look at them right and potentially have them come into the academy or whatever it may be so um, at the same time we want to give obviously players that are local to Austin and again, have interesting characteristics and qualities. We, we don't want to shut them out just because there's some other player from another area. So like anything else, it's a blend. And at the end of the day, you hope the cream rises to the top within our Academy. And, and again, they, they move on into the professional world or again, or college or whatever it may be. All right. Well, I think that is a good place to end it. Sean, thanks so much. We also want to thank our Patreon members for sending in some of these questions we've asked you. Uh, but it's a pleasure talking to you. Uh, learn a lot every time I do it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, happy roster building and good luck this season. Yeah, thanks very much. Appreciate the time, guys. I ain't got no time to let you Thanks, Sean Rubio, one more time for joining us and sharing that inf information with us. We'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Uh, and then if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter. I'm at LVAHero87. Jeremiah is at jbentley underscore ATX. And then Chris Wellhausen is, I think, at Chris Wellhausen. That's, yes, that is what Chris Wellhausen is, which he can never remember <laughs> that for himself, but I'm 99% <laughs> sure that that's where he is. Uh, if, and we know he never listens to the end of the show, so he he won't know if we get this wrong. Yeah, even the ones that he's on. And then we're also at Moon Tower Soccer at, on Twitter and Instagram. And then we'd encourage you to sign up for the Patreon if you have a few extra bucks. We got some cool rewards going on over there. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer where we will review the U.S. Open Cup match. Hopefully that's a good one. And we'll also review the Vancouver match at home. And then we'll cover any other Austin FC news that pops up. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.